Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. things I feel could really be helpful for us is to do more random acts of kindness. This is not something new, but it might be a little bit new in saying that it could be something beneficial for people with a diagnosis because so many of us are in the habit and placed in the role of expecting to be cared for not a hundred percent but a lot of elements but just because I'm cared for in different ways because of my diagnosis doesn't mean I can't care for other people in ways that I can care which might be as simple as holding a door or giving a smile and there's scientific studies on these things that they really do help and it could really help to get rid of that stigma thing and um, self-stigma as well and I'm talking about it and it's something I want to experiment with myself I haven't done that really I have in daily life, but I thought it might be fun to create a crew of people that go out and do it together. Also part of the the workshop would be how to design one's life to for happiness and also for embodying mania and also I don't know what else. What I'm trying to say is, one's life could be designed differently based on the fact that one has a diagnosis. So some people might design their life unconsciously to have a 9 to 5 job, 40 hours a week. Well, that might not work for me, but I can design my life differently based on what works for me. And that's a changing process. I'd like to see more conversations about magic and synchronicity. I had an insight recently that the universe is not random. And one of the ways that came to me was that when I went to a symphony show a couple years ago, I sat right down next to an ex-partner of mine in the audience we didn't go together and then recently I went to a symphony show in the park and I sat put my blanket down right next to my neighbor and to me I just felt like the universe is not completely random but it's random enough to make us feel like it is completely random but sometimes when we enter that manic energy 
nothing seems random. It all seems very meaningful. And to me, it would be nice to inject some of that meaningfulness into daily existence. Everybody could benefit from a little bit more of that. And the extremes that we experience in mania, they're very strong. And if just a little bit of that can be brought into consensus reality, it might be able to shift things ever so slightly. It could be that we that experience mania have a very big responsibility to bring some of that to other people who normally don't get it and may never get that experience. And it's not about the experience and craving the experience. It's about what that means on a grander scheme of things. I would say that that energy in mania is not personal. It's not a this is for you phenomenon. It's bring this into the world could be wrong. I recently read an article online by Dr. David Fisher and he talks about how psychosis is a monologue and in my own experience this rings true because as I dive into a state of psychosis my mind is talking to itself and the more it just talks to itself, it can get into monologues that are not congruent with reality and quite terrifying. The more there's a dialogue going on about this, perhaps the less one would be isolated into retreating into a monologue about it. and. I don't know if that's true exactly. I'm a big fan of reframing and thinking about things differently in as many ways possible. And I've thought over the last two years, I've thought a lot about psychosis and I've even written pages and pages and pages of metaphors and similes of psychosis is like this or psychosis as that and that's one of the reasons why I would like to put some brain power into the manic side of it because it seems that I've focused a lot on psychosis which is a lot of negative stuff and I was really fascinated by all of it but really it's all just abstractions and the positive aspects of mania are also abstractions but they're things some of them are attributes that I can actually work towards embodying like more kindness or generosity for example for simple characteristics whereas I don't really want to focus and embody or practice embodying being paranoid or being scared or terrified, so why would I write so much about that? And I'm not saying I regret that, but 
in that period of time, I've researched a lot about psychosis and I've had a lot of psychosis at the same time. And I'm wondering if focusing, I talk about embodying mania because it's kind of a enticing idea, but really it's just about being one's best self. And in my experience, it just so happens that I was my best self when I was in my first mania. And since then, I haven't really had an extreme mania. It's been kind of not even noticeable. And it's perhaps because I've worked towards embodying quite a bit of that in my life. And um, part of how I was able to get back to some level of wellness was by being a little bit of a maniac in daily existence. Not really, but just having fun, being spontaneous, some of those qualities that I had when I was then treated and medicated, I was still able to just be silly and kind of crazy and it really helped me. And then in the last year and a half, I haven't really had the opportunity to do that because I've been more in the so-called real normal consensus reality and um, yeah, it hasn't been as fun because it's not really a fun environment to be as silly and funny in. Um, so it seems to me like by participating in consensus reality, it makes me ill. And admittedly, when I was acting silly and having fun, I was still in consensus reality, but I wasn't in mainstream workforce or I was actually for part of it, but I had a job where I could be fun and act really happy. So again, I was still able to embody that manic side. And since I've been in the dull reality, the psychosis seems to come out and it seems like it seems like the mania energy, the extra energy I've had in my mania that doesn't feel like mania actually goes towards trying to find the answer to psychosis. So I'm having a sense right now as I'm speaking that I really need to only participate in the fun side of the world. And that doesn't mean being completely irresponsible because the fun side of the world, I was a chiropractic assistant and so I was always happy and joking with the patients and had fun and didn't experience psychosis and then as soon as I was out of that environment and into more serious work, well now I'm in the seriousness and I'm seeing that seriousness is a disease. Wow. 
seriousness is a disease. Seriousness, when I have my serious opinion and you have yours, it divides us. But if we drop those serious opinions and we play together, we're silly together, we smile, we laugh, we're one. And that doesn't mean to say that there are no serious issues. There are. But how do we approach them? Do I approach it with my opinion and you with yours? Or with a playful, collaborative effort? One of the approaches I would like to see some of us trained on, and this isn't saying what you should do, is the approach of peer open dialogue. There isn't enough of this. and. It doesn't even have to be peer open dialogue, but just open dialogue in general. And I don't know a ton about it. And I don't know if I would want to be trained on it or not. I just feel like there are certain people that would be wanting to be trained on it. And maybe that would be their thing. I don't know what my thing is exactly. But I don't know if it's to be trained on that. Earlier I was talking about acts of kindness and there's another way to do it which is acts of playfulness and that does magic as well. And with a and with what I just said about seriousness as a disease, these acts of playfulness could really be helpful. And I feel like I need to get into that acts of playfulness big time. Speaking of that other world, I would like to assert, though we cannot prove, the hypothesis that there is another world based on kindness and synchronicity, etc. But we must live that way to create it in our brain structure, not just as an aberration of the inner pharmacy or of outer stuff we take in. Embodied action creates this, and that's the importance of embodying manic traits because that reinforces those traits in the brains of other people who are not practicing those traits, but they see those traits and they get passed on. We read each other's body language, which is something that we know, and the ones diagnosed often can read body language better than other people. Hence that sixth sense of being able to read someone's mind. Another part of the workshop is engaging in the opposites of mental illness or psychosis. Mental illness, for example, can be isolating, so building community can be the antidote to that. It's the opposite of that. One of the opposites, at least. Another is something like being in nature, the city and all of its madness and technology and fast pace and noise is something that our brains really are not designed to be able to take. But being out in nature is the opposite of that chaos and I feel like spending time out there can really calm the brain down and imprint on the brain cells all those 
natural structures that it would be accustomed to be around if it was in the natural environment. Also being kind, smiling, all these different things that are the opposites of mental illness, which I made a list of them, but it would be interesting for us to co-create a list of things that are the opposites of, say, psychosis or depression, and really engage in those, especially the ones that are related to our individual strengths and visions and wishes, not doing too many things that are way outside what we innately want to do here. An insight I've had in one of my states was we really do destroy each other with our thoughts, feelings, and actions. Like my bad thought kills a tree on the other side of the world, for example. That's just a hypothesis. And with all the negative thinking that goes on, it just manifests all this behavior and terrible things all over the world and then we watch on TV and think well I'm not responsible for that but the cumulative energy or negative energy does co-create those things in somebody else and who knows if they'll ever prove that one it does create a ripple effect and I have actually experienced it and sensed it in some of my altered states. I can actually sense what ripples I'm creating and what ripples are being sent towards me. And then eventually at some point, it's just very confusing altogether. And who knows what of it is true. And that's kind of the point is you can't really know. You can't know what caused what and there is no real cause because you'd have to go back infinite causes to find the original cause which was probably our birth but anyways I was also thinking about that website mad in America and I know the term madness is used oftentimes for people in altered states of consciousness and it's not necessarily supposed to be a, a derogatory term but mad is still kind of a negative term and I thought of creating a website called glad in Canada I feel like we could actually be shifted towards being seen as glad people I feel like a lot of times for me I get angry in my experiences, at least in the first bit, when I came across those buzzkill experiences, or I was like, woo, this is so great, and could you imagine this, and this would be wonderful, and someone's like, what are you talking about, like, that's, like, they didn't see it, they didn't believe in the positivity, so then I got mad, which um, sort of negates the positive, it just shows lack of inner strength on my part, or practicing that, um, ignoring the energy of others if possible but anyways I, I do feel like 
we could be shifted towards being seen as glad people, gladness. A lot of the mad part is just in knowing that one will be suppressed and looked upon in negative ways and not validated, but maybe if we at least create a community that we validate each other and we believe each other and not just that, not like, oh, you had this great experience, now let's dwell on it forever. Well, no, it's like, well, what are you going to do with it in terms of action, in terms of sharing with others or, or towards that world-centric consciousness? Because I feel like that experience is part of the world-centric consciousness in that the ego has temporarily been dismantled. So to attribute it to one's ego, to me, is somewhat false and perhaps would even stunt further integration and growth of that consciousness back to the world-centric sensation or way of being. And perhaps more of us have to abide in that world centricity for more people to be able to go there. That's part of the critical mass argument. And it's not a physical thing. It's an energetic thing. It's a consciousness thing. It's a holographic thing. And we don't necessarily know how it, ha how it works. I don't know how it works. We can't necessarily know how it works when it's something that we are. Or it is how it works. It is the how it works. And maybe if we are that way, we will maybe know how it works. But at the same time, if we knew how it worked, that would negate the game. That would get rid of the surprise element. If we knew how it worked, we wouldn't, there wouldn't really be a reason to live it out. So to me, it's more about living it out than figuring out how it works. And that's the thing. I don't know how to live it out. I have this sense that there's something to live out towards that vision. And I could try and think of how to do it which wouldn't even be how to do it because I'm thinking about how to do it before I'm there so to me it feels like I just gotta kind of do it we have to go from being survivors to being thrivers and no amount of whining about how we're survivors is going to create us as thrivers we have to thrive and basically at that point we'll be connecting with people in the mainstream telling them that it's okay to loosen their ties and come out and have a little bit of fun we all like watching people who look like they're having fun there's a lot of talk about how important body language is and Perhaps we could help people with the understanding of the body language of fun. 
And another part would be how to activate your own inner pharmacy. People understand that exercise is one way to do it, but there's not much talk about play and laughter and as actual ways to create some wonderful oxytocin, which is actually a social bonding hormone among other things. And it actually has effects on um, genetic expression towards health as well. So it's not just about bonding, but also every level of health. I'm not really a big fan of the words rehabilitation and recovery. To me, it's more like habilitation the habilitation aspect is ignored and to me what habilitation means is a person that has a, a spiritual crisis or some sort of crisis often comes out the other side with abilities that they did not have before and it's never in conversation that what are the strengths that you gained or what are the abilities you gained and how can we help you cultivate those or nurture those abilities as a way for a person to feel more fulfilled, feel validated, feel like their crisis wasn't for nothing because most people have a sense that it, it there was a meaning to it of some sort, which is usually excluded from the conversation as well. Is, you know, any sort of, there can't be anything meaningful in that at all. But most of the time, there is. There was in my experience. I don't want to speak for anyone else. But for some reason, it seems like this sort of crisis has very so many commonalities in that it is a reality in itself. And then coming out the other side is another reality in itself. And how it's received and perceived is something else. To me, it would be wonderful for us to be able to help people that just come through it and, and make them see, maybe you lost your ability to make food for yourself right now, or focus, but maybe your heart is just full, or maybe you can write all of a sudden, or maybe you want to connect with a cause, or, or maybe you just need to rest for a while and see what happens after that. Or you feel like you have these potentials, but you can't do it right now. But maybe later you can. So the habilitation aspect and also recovery. It's a crisis. It's a transformation. There's nothing to recover. You can't really recover the old. You, to some extent you can, but really it's about transforming and rediscovering and recreating who you are not trying to recover you, your old self for the sake of other people and making them comfortable maybe some people want to do that but part of the reason why I feel like I had a crisis in the, in the first place was because I wasn't being me I wasn't being who I am so why would I want to recover that person to me it that's like saying let's recover over all the problems and that means you're recovered but um, that's probably not what they're saying or trying to say when they say recovery 
God, whoever came up with this term recovery never went through this. Because to me, it's not a recovery. It's a crisis. It's a transformation. It's difficult. It's like a second puberty. It's so many things. But it's not necessarily that something is wrong. Maybe it's situational. Maybe it's environmental. Maybe it's a way to get away from one situation by being separated from it for a while and then being put into something else. It's definitely a disconnect. I'm not sure who else likes that word recovery. It's a journey. I don't know if it's recovery. The main thing that's helped me is community. So adding so much community into my life has helped me quote unquote recover. But to me, that's more about being integrated. And before I was isolated. So is that recovery? Obviously, I've done a lot more stuff than that. But none of it has felt like recovery per se. And one of the reasons for that is even though I've been in this so-called recovery for five years, I just had the worst hospitalization of my life. But it didn't really set me back that far because of community and stuff. But if it was just about that big crisis causing that dip, which it did the first time, oops, I had nothing. But this time, since I had all that something, even though I had that crisis, there was nothing to recover. I didn't really go anywhere, even though I had one month where I was in dissociation and you know delusion and psychosis and terror and fear and then after the month it's like well okay back to almost normal for me because I had all that base of everything which is more of a, a structure and stuff supporting me it has nothing to do with me it's all this external stuff to me added to my life and I wouldn't necessarily call that recovery of me, my mental, me and my mental illness. It's all that was missing in my life. And that's probably what caused the crisis in the first place, perhaps. Anyways, it's a lot more complex than that. I just personally don't like the term recovery because it implies everything is wrong with the person when it could have so many other elements like family dynamics so many things thank you for listening to bipolar inquiry if you're enjoying the show please feel free to rate subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts remember use your voice craft your consciousness embody your potential enter a quantum paradigm the bipolar inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease information in this show is not medical advice Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.